How many of you know that you have a God call and God has a plan and a purpose for your life and it's a great opportunity to discover your giftings, your callings, just, just your design. You've got a unique design. And, and so it's going to be absolutely fantastic. People are signing up. Uh, it's going to kick off towards the end, I believe, of this month. And so make sure you sign up for that. I'll be there. You'll be there. God will be there. It'll be a great time in Jesus' name. Are we ready? Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you so much, Samuel. Really appreciate you. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking somewhere in the foyer and someone came up to me and said, that word, how many of you know what the word of our year is? Maybe you do not know, but those of you know, what's the word of our year? Hope and imagination. And someone came up to me and said, that word, that, the, the sermons preached around it. I don't know if you understand, Pastor, it was just, just spoke to me. It was prophetic. It's been, and I, and I actually replied, actually, there's more. It's just this thing that's been unfolding. And so it's sort of like we had the series and the, and, and, but how many of you know, it's a word for the year. So it's not like it was, we were talking about in January, February, and then we sort of forget about it. And so we're sort of digging back, diving back into it. And the whole mindset, the whole thought process of this is that, that, that the word that I sense for 2021 is hope and imagination. Now we could have stopped at hope, but the reason why I wanted to throw in imagination is because a lot of times we think hope as this far concept. It's this passive posture. It's just this thing that's sitting on the side of the wall. But hope really is positive imagination. And we've been studying that as a church uh, over the last few weeks, January, February, all, all those sermons uh, that we've been sharing. Hope is positive imagination. It's the ability to imagine uh, and know that God is good, that the goodness of God is there. And so we've been studying a few weeks ago. I spoke about how hope is a frame and how we can use this frame to place on the right picture that God has for us. Uh, a while back after that, we looked at the parables, uh, the parable of the sower, where it talks about how the farmer goes out to sow seeds and it falls on all these different kinds of soils. And we established the fact that if seed is faith, then hope is soil. And so many times there's an emphasis in church and in faith about faith, uh, but not so much about the hope that we carry and so that you can get all the revelation you can get all the understanding you can get all the knowledge but if it's not planted on good soil which my friend is hope then there's not going to be any fruitfulness are you with me and so we've been on that whole tangent on that whole thought about it and and and, and so this morning I want to sort of dive once again on this whole thing of hope and and what I'm about to really uh, unfold it, it, I can literally this morning is an introduction to next week's message it's literally that. And I'm going to unfold this idea that's uh, almost conflicting to our conviction, conflicting to our mindsets. It's not, it's not conflicting to God, but it's conflicting to probably the churches and the backgrounds and the, the legalistic settings that some of us have been brought up in. But it's a real uh, powerful uh, and really what I'm trying to say is I'm not, I'm not over-exaggerating as I'm about to say this, but if you really catch a handle of this, of what I'm about to share, it literally changes the way you live. That's what it's about. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our, own, in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the, anim and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27, so God created human beings, watch these words, in His own image. In the image of God, He created them male and female, He created them. I want to also read Genesis 2, 19. It's a continuation of the whole creation story. This is what it says, so the Lord God formed from the ground 
all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name to each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. I want to read one more uh, passage of scripture and let's try and see if we can bring these two together. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. This is what it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I want to read those first words, casting down imaginations that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Why don't we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that this morning that minds would be open, hearts would be ready, and that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. Fill our hearts, fill this space. I pray for every distraction that it would just evaporate right here in this moment. I thank you, Lord, that you are here. Just with every eye closed, I just sense uh, there's someone that I get the number 10 in the last 10 days has been discovered a tumor or a lump or something of that sort on your body. Uh, If you're in this room, if you're comfortable, just want you to quickly slip your hands up. Uh, I do not know what the situation is. might be something tiny that you're just concerned about. Maybe you've not even received a diagnosis. Just slip those hands up quickly. Just identify who you are and pray pray for you. Father, I pray for that person. I just pray for that lump. I just pray for whatever that growth is. I declare in the name of Jesus that that be gone, that be removed. We just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about this whole thing called imagination. The title of my message is God, Your Imagination. Guard your imagination. You're like, man, it doesn't sound that, you know, guard your spirit. In fact, there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about guard your heart. Guard your heart for out of it. I'm talking about guard your imagination. And I'm mindful that what I'm about to, I was, I was really hesitant. Do I really talk about this? Uh, you know, people are coming for Sunday encouragement, Sunday motivation. This is Alvin. Are you sure you want to open this bag? Well, it's too late. I've announced it. <laughs> Said the title. Can't really reverse out. And there's no review cameras too. So I'm just thinking here. So let's go there. Guard your imagination. Uh, and I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, make sure you're back next week because next week is really we're going to land this thing. But for the first concept I need you to understand is this thing called imagination is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Uh, it's a really big deal to God. How many of you know that just because something's not a big deal for, for us, it does not mean it's not a big deal? In fact, say this after me, just because it's not a big deal for me, that does not mean it's not a big deal. So you got to understand this. So just like you, you got, you got atheists running around saying there's no heaven, there's no hell. That's, a, that's not a big deal for them. But how many of you know that's a big deal? So, so, so some things that we say is not a big deal, it actually is a big deal. And this thing called imagination is actually such a big deal to God. And I think we got to understand because in this, imagine in this whole thing of imagination I'm going to give you a new word called co-laboring you're going to find in scripture through and through right from Genesis all through Revelation God has only one purpose we think it's to save humanity that's the first part of his purpose but the other part of that purpose is to co-labor see God did not create you and me because he needed more servants it's not like God said the angels are too expensive to afford So let's go to a third world planet 
and find some people to do the load. That's not, that's not the deal here. Are you with me? I know. I can say you can't, but it's okay. Let's move, move it along. So, so that's not the deal. We think like, you know, human beings are just running errands for God. You got to understand this thing called co-laboring is a big deal. And, 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 and it's such a thing that we see. And, and, and the reason I say this is because the Bible says very clearly that God created man in his own image. The last time I saw something running around in my own image were my kids. I remember this one time, Leah was, Leah was uh, you know, going at Elise. And then she just had to stop and laugh because her face looked just like Elise. It was like, I feel like I'm shouting at myself, you know. It was just like you're talking to your own image. So when the Bible says you and I have been created in the image of God, Guess what you look like? When you worship, guess what God sees? It's a crazy experience. It's like this father-child thing. And so, and so we got to understand this, that God has called us to this place of co-laboring. It's this place of partnership. It's not just this, uh, this master-slave thing. It's this father-son thing, this father-daughter thing. And, and we see that because, uh, you know, you, you've got this, this thing called man that God creates in his own image and then says to him, I want you to name all the animals. How many? Two million to be precise. I mean, if you don't count the extinct, all the extinct animals, that's a lot more. But around two million animals. How, how many of you know that's a big job right there? Uh, that's, that's a big gig. I mean, when I was thinking about this. Like if you look at any organization or anything that you go to, like you don't assign them with such a big task. It's like, go get the pizzas, go get the coffee. Like even, even a church, like, you know, you don't get to call the microphone the first day you arrive. Let's, let's be honest. So it's like, you know, what do you do? You join on team, you serve, be a bit faithful, you know, arrange a few chairs, be on time, download the Flora app. You know, like, uh, don't, don't, don't put things on incognito. Don't leave people unread. You know what I'm saying? Just a little bit of consistency and a bit of faithfulness. Some of you are like, how do I get plugged in that's that's how you get plugged in you know and, and then sort of you sort of grow and th- you know you're faithful and you're fruitful and all that's God doesn't do any of that like I would expect God to go like Adam, Adam uh, first day you know here's a tree like just try to water that thing like you know what I'm saying or like or like uh, he's 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 a seed let's see what he does with it like plant that thing like he literally just turns around and says here is two million animals I want you to name them I don't think we fully understand the gravity of this. And I think it's because I think there's, there's been a return in our culture on the power of names. There was a time when parents were naming their kids whatever, you know, they got drunk and saw a brand and then called their child out. Like, I think people are getting a bit more inter- intentional in, in, in naming their kids. Like, for so example, we've just had a daughter called Charlotte. And the reason we named her Charlotte was because the world's greatest evangelist, Billy Graham, came out of Charlotte. From Charlotte to the ends of the earth. So every child that every child we have, there's a story and a name. And just just uh, fun facts, we've actually declared cities and nations over our kids. So each of our kids, we've given them a region, and it will be one day in the future. I'd like to take each of them on a mission trip to each of these nations. So we just because the Bible says your children shall inherit the earth. It's not talking about buying land. It's about going and reach reaching those places with the gospel. And so names is a big deal. Names is a big deal to parents. And names is a big deal to God to the point that God would sometimes step into a situation and rename some things. There's a guy called Jacob and God says, I don't like your name. From this day forward, you're going to be called 
uh, you're going to be called Israel because there's a nation that's going to come out of you. Jacob has a son. He names him Judah. For those of you who don't know, Judah means praise. And so from that moment on, that, that word Judah is not just praise. It's exuberance. It's energy. It's enthusiasm. So anybody born from the tribe of Judah just had to be an extrovert. It was in their DNA, it was in their character, it was in their profile. In other words, in biblical times when something was named, within that was nature and within that was character. So now you got to understand when God says to Adam, name these animals, he was just not saying cherry pick whatever you want. He was saying add nature and character. How many of you think that's a big gig? How many of you think that's a big situation where God is entrusting human beings to name something and put it into space. It's a big task and we see this in part, but to God, this is a big deal. And that's why our, our imagination matters. He was asking Adam to assign nature and character to animals. Let's, let's read John 14, just to expound on this. John 14 verse 13, it says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in heaven. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. How many of you think that's a dangerous scripture? Like, I would not even say that to my daughter. You can ask me anything in my name and I, that's like giving humanity a blank check. It's like, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and we can see in scripture when we begin to do uh, an inventory, we begin to realize the nature of God was he wasn't looking for an increase in slaves, he was looking for an increase in co-laborers. There was this thing intrinsically within God where he's looking for partnership. He's looking eagerly for your imagination. He's looking eagerly for your creativity. He's looking eagerly for your personality to come up. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, John 14, that's what it says. The very next chapter, John 15, Jesus, this is a big conversation. Jesus finishes off sort of that conversation by saying, I no longer call you servants but I now call you friends. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Why was he saying that? He was literally calling them to a new place of relationship. Now, what's the difference between a servant and a friend? A servant is, is, is someone that, you know, runs errands, gets stuff done, knows what you need at what time, and all that sort of stuff. But who's a friend? I know a friend, someone you hang out with, but here's the other thing about a friend. The thing about a friend is a friend knows what motivates you. A friend knows what motivates you. PS5, FIFA, Red Bull. A friend knows what motivates you. A friend knows what motivates That's as far as toxic drinks we will get to. A friend knows what motivates you. You know what I'm saying? And when Jesus was saying that to his disciples, he was saying that the place of in intimacy that I want you to have with me is I need you to understand what motivates my heart. Can I propose to you that Adam spent time enough with God to know what motivated his heart, which enabled him and empowered him to, be have, to have the ability to add character and nature to two million animals. Because when you name something, you got to dig into your history. You got to dig into your imagination. You got to dig into your experiences. You got to dig into your encounters. That's how you name something. And for Adam to be entrusted with such an assignment means, first thing, God has empowered him. And secondly, God trusts him. 
And I want to tell you this morning, regardless of where your life has been, regardless of how crazy it's been or whatever you've done, God has a plan and a purpose, not just for you, but He's got something redemptive for your imagination that out of your imagination, He wants to create something that is so beautiful, that is so divine, that only you can bring to the surface. This is why our imagination is such a big deal. I think like the first four rows are convinced, but I don't think the last row is. So I'm going to try this one more time. You're not convinced. If you're not convinced, check out what it says in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness of the earth, and he saw, check it out, everything they thought or what or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made, can you think about it? People's imagination made God sorry and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. The one way you can break the heart of God is not just by going out and sinning. It's by having a wicked imagination. And the Lord said, I will wipe them out. A lot of times people say, why did a flood happen? See, God honors your imagination so much that he moves them to the point that he will save you from your own destruction. He honors your, your imagination so much that he will create circumstances that will protect you from your own destruction. God honors your imagination. Do you honor yours? God honors my imagination. Do I really honor my imagination? It's not good enough just for God to honor my imagination. I've got to learn how to guard. I've got to learn how to protect. I've got to learn how to honor my imagination. He honors your imagination to the point that he would entrust you with all of zoology. And he honors your imagination to the point that he will allow a flood to protect you from your own destruction. That's how much your imagination matters to God. In fact, when we look at the temptation of Jesus, uh, when Jesus was tempted, there were three different areas he was tempted. He was tempted, uh, you know, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus tempted in, I believe, Matthew chapter uh, 4, Matthew chapter 4, where, where the devil comes to him and says, you got to turn these stones into bread. And they were sort of, he was sort of triggering that whole appetite, the whole thing, you know, sort of like, you're hungry, so I've got to trigger. So there were trigger points that, that every human being has. And then the Bible talks about how the devil took him up the temple and sort of was dealing with his pride, dealing with his ego, dealing with his ability, dealing with what he can do and what he cannot do and he was triggering him there but there's this third temptation that I think is pretty powerful it says in uh, Matthew 4 verse 8 again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me all these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me now here's the thing we read these stories like it just happened but my question to you is where is this mountain? If there is a mountain on planet earth that shows me all the cities of the world, I want to go there. Now, I'm not physically able to, you are, but I'm not physically able to climb that mountain, but I'll find a way to go up that mountain and take a few Insta stories. You know what I'm talking about? Can I propose to you that this was not an actual physical mountain? That this scholars say that this was probably a trance, a vision? Can I propose to you it may have been an imagination? Can I propose to you that those are areas where the enemy can creep in. And, 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 and this was a picture. The enemy 
was showing. And this is why 2 Corinthians 10 makes so much sense when it says casting down all imagination. See what Jesus had to do when the devil came on that day was he had to cast down that imagination that tried to exalt itself above the name of God. He said, I know what you're trying to do. This picture looks great and I've come here to save humanity. I've come here for the nations of the world. I've come here so that cities can be discipled, but this is not the way we get about it. This is a very tempting imagination, but it's an imagination that needed to be casted out because it is exalting itself above the name of God. What are the imaginations that we are harboring that in some way, in some form might be appeasing, might be appealing, might be sort of invigorating, might be exciting, but in in reality, it is contrary to the design and the DNA that God has for you and me. What are the imaginations that we need to pull down? I, I I tell you, this thing called the mind is such an important thing. I mean, we know it all through Romans. It talks about the renewal of the mind. I'm talking about in that whole area of the mind, I'm talking about this thing called imagination, which is quite powerful. And this thing called mind is so important. It is such an important deal. I I need to protect what goes in here. I I heard a preacher once say that most closed heavens lie between the two years. Lies right here. Most things that we are struggling with, most stuff that it's in here, it's in this imagination. And I constantly need to go before God. It's actually not the fact that I don't trust God. It's not the fact that I don't believe God. It's not the fact that I have uh, any doubt in his ability or what he can do, what he cannot do. It's this imagination that distracts me. It takes me away. It keeps coming and just moves me in different directions. And that's why your imagination is such a big deal. It's a big deal to God. Our imagination is more important than we realize. And that's why one of the most spiritual things you can do this week is make an inventory of your imagination. Do you find yourself constantly calculating your imagination with a steroid called anxiety? Do you constantly find yourself calculating the outcomes that are mostly pointing in the negative? What what does the outcome... <laughs> Here's a better one. If, you, if, if your imaginations were answered, would the world be a better place? Would you be the supporting act or the main act of your imagination? If your imagination was answered, what problem would, would be solved? If your imagination came to pass, would your spouse be blessed? Would your family be blessed? Or would it all just be on you? What would your imagination produce? Because imagination is the place of co-laboring. Imagination was the place that Adam had to step into to name the animals. Can I propose to you that once Adam named the animals, God never changed their names? In fact, if you read it with a bit more intensity, it says, and God looked and watched at what Adam named each one of them. God is careful about your imagination and he's careful of the outcome of your imagination. What your imagination produces is so Powerful, which is why we've got to protect it. Now it makes more sense why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter 5. I do not know if you know what I'm talking about. But Matthew chapter 5 is one of the most powerful scriptures we use when we try to tell people that grace is more demanding than law. So when people come to you and say, you know, law is this and law is that, and you've got the theologian or the pastor, and I preach this myself, but I say, oh man, grace has a bigger demand. Because the law says, when you sleep with somebody, you've done something wrong. But grace says in Matthew chapter 5, that if you look 
with somebody lustfully and, has, and have lustful thoughts about them, lustful imaginations about them, you've already committed the sin of adultery. Could it be, yes, I agree that grace has a higher call, but could it be that Jesus recognized the power of your imagination? That he knew that if you were to imagine in that direction, it would produce all sorts of things. And, and, and what you're about to, that womb was not for that imagination. That labor womb was not for, to birth that activity, was not to birth that sin. See, the problem with us is we, 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 we try to paint Christianity in such a way like there's all these laws and all these rules and all these. And yes, it is, but it is to protect your true gift. It's to protect your true identity. It's to protect your true imagination. Because what the enemy does is he's, he tries to show you, he tries to show you that, that, that the kingdom of darkness is so attractive, it's so boundless. It's it has no boundaries, but what he's actually doing is he's pulling you down to a lower place of imagination and you wake up in your own vomit that you'd never wanted to be a part of in the first place. Could it be that when Jesus said that when you look at someone in that way, he was actually talking about how significant your imagination is? Yes, it's a sin thing, but to God it was the same. The Bible does not say that God saw the actions of those people and then there was a flood. He saw the imagination of those people. I wonder what God's response would be to my imagination. Every now and then I need to go before God and say, God, take that thing away. Take that thought away. Take that idea away. Oh no, that's not good. That's not empowering. That's not exhorting. That's not edifying. That's not encouraging. Take that stuff. Take that. And, and, and this is not about, this is not a message. If you go from this place and understand this as a message of straight and narrow, I've absolutely done a disservice to this message. This message is not a message of straight and narrow. It's not, okay, let's all go out. Go to the car. Don't imagine anything. Okay, girl walking by, Alwyn, close your eyes. No, no. Oh, and you're having an accident now. You know, it's like, this is not one of those messages. This is a message of saying your call to a greater place of imagination that God has not called us to just survive. He's called us to thrive. And the reason why your imagination is so powerful is because all of heaven's creativity is waiting for you to draw. Your mind is the canvas. Your imagination is the brush and God's word is the paint. Your mind is the canvas. Your imagination is the brush and God's word is the paint. And God is saying, if my child would wake up that child of mine who's dealing with suicidal thoughts have no understanding. The reason they're struggling with that is because they're called to be a life giver and everywhere they go, they're called to emit my goodness and my eternal life. That child who's dealing with depression, the reason they do not understand that the enemy is trying to bring that, the very area that you're attacked in is perhaps the area where you've been anointed to lead, the area you've been anointed to imagine, the area you've been anointed to create. Is there, are there, anybody, is there anybody in this room who wants to create something, who wants to do something big for the glory of God. Imagination. Imagination. Such a powerful thing. I spoke earlier about, this is not part of my message, but I just feel like going there. I spoke earlier about the city of Charlotte in an old country town on a farm, born a preacher, a boy called Billy Graham. And, you know, we all know, regardless of what religion you are, people respect him and honor him as a religious leader. 
out of that farm, a boy had a dream, an imagination. And I'm sure there were temptations that came his way. I'm sure there was lust that came his way. I'm sure there were women. There was all that sort of, but he just guarded that imagination, that imagination. And out of that, you know, I wonder, you know, I'm sort of getting into my next week's message. But I wonder if even seeing the world say, was that God's idea? Was that Billy Graham's idea? I reckon it was both of their ideas. Was it God's idea to name it the gorilla or Adam's idea to name it the gorilla? I reckon it was both because when you're with the Father, because I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And when you enter that place of friendship, you enter that place of intimacy that you know what motivates God. And all of a sudden, you begin to walk in the literal nature of Christ. So many times we come to church just to have a little bit of bread. Oh, Jesus, just a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Jesus. Can I say to you, Christ lives in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you surrender this heart, when you surrender this mind, this thing called the kingdom, see God created a man called Adam and put him in a massive, expansive garden called Eden. God created a person like you and put you in this massive, expansive place called the kingdom. And it's a place where you can create. It's a place where you can co-labor. It's a place where God wants to birth his heart. Jump into next week anyways. If God did not need your creativity, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would be the same. The reason why the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are are different is because It's called co-laboring. It's their version. It's their creativity. It's their observation. It's their uniqueness. It's their emotion. You got John, the real sweetheart, got one lie on the breast of Jesus. You got Peter who wants to walk on water. You got Matthew, the tax collector. You got all these different, and a lot of times we think when we get saved, we've got to die to our personalities. No, we just need to redeem it. And imagine it and point it in the right direction, knowing that God is painting something new in the uniqueness and the fabric of your DNA. He's called us to be something. He's called us to be a force. He's called a church. You know, when I think about, when I think about 2020, I feel in many ways, not just our church, I feel in many ways the church has been defeated. It's like, what's going on? We're supposed to be the, the, the smugglers of hope. We're supposed to be the merchants of hope. We're supposed to be the, the, the people that carry an imagination and people haven't, can I propose to you that maybe the reason is because you're still looking at God like a master, as a, as a, you're looking at yourself as a servant. Could it be that you got to look at him as a friend and say, Father, what is your heart for the situation? What is for your heart for the circumstances? Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, lead me. And all of a sudden, creativity begins to come forth and ideas begin to spring forth and you begin to find that groove in God that can only be present by the, but not just by surrender, but also by obedience. See, we sing a lot about surrender, but can I speak for a moment about just stepping out? Just stepping out, just stepping out, saying, you know what? I think this is what God is. I think this is where He's leading me. I think, and, and I love the Pentecostal church, but I think we have become so spirit led that we're not doing anything. So spirit-led, like, God, should I wear the purple T-shirt? Or God's like, I don't even know what's in your wardrobe. You know, get some, get, get into that place of, of saying, you know what? The Spirit of the Lord, I love what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. 
to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. I want you to, I want to propose to you that day when Jesus opened Luke 4.18. It was not that it said that the, the heavens opened. He literally opened his Bible and read the first words that came out. The Spirit of the Lord is, a, what's stopping me? What's stopping us from allowing that scripture to be the paint on which we draw on this canvas for our mind? He just literally says those words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me. It's not like a, angels were singing and doves flying. Not, none of that. He just reads it. And he says, this word's come to pass. This word's come into fulfillment. And I want us to know, Downport Church, this thing called our imagination is so significant. It's so essential. And God is saying, if my daughter, if my child, if my son, if my friend could see the power of imagination, where I've not called them to chase around town looking at women, but I've called them to name things and to call forth those things as though they are. I'm, I'm calling them to speak hope. And it's almost like heaven's waiting for you to open up your lips and speak into a situation. I praise God that the first row is clapping, but they get paid to clap. I hope this hits the last row that you could say, no, 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 I get a hold of this, that, 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 that God has anointed me and he's redeeming my imagination. I want to do it. I want you to do a thing this week. I want you, to, if I can get sound, that'd be fantastic. If if you could do an inventory of your imagination, an inventory of of this place of God, what's happening in here? What's happening in here? And just start redeeming that. Just start finding scriptures that line up and say, you know what? This this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. This is what's happening.